A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Girl, I don't. Some bad hat Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Roderick Gordis. And today, we'll be discussing Big Little Lies Season 1. And if you are a regular listener, you might know straight away, where's Damask Leary? Unfortunately, Damask is extremely busy with her university uh, commitments at the moment, so she can't be here today. But we have a very special guest who has happily stepped in at the last minute to look after that spot for us. That's our good friend, Hannah Dallas. How are you doing today, Hannah? I'm doing very well. I'm really happy to be here and to talk about this show. Thank you very much for coming on. Again, you've been on before when we discussed Sharp Objects. Yes. And we plan to have you on to do Big Little Lies because there are some creative uh, some creators behind both those shows that yeah. that uh, cross over. And so there was always the plan to have you on, just to mask as well. Yes. And do sort of <laughs> had the three of us. But uh, with this sort of current arrangement, it's very, very uh, lucky that you've been able to do this for us. So thank you very much. How have you been? What's I've been happening? I've been good. I've been busy. Um, I am also a teacher, so I can definitely relate mm. to how Damask might be feeling. Um, I'm in the middle of presenting some pretty amazing planets that my students have. Wow. Yeah, I know. They've, they've created planets. Yeah, what they've designed their you? own planets. Wow. Um, they've learned all about the Goldilocks zone, about what a planet needs to sustain life. It was a second there. I was like, what is that? And then I, yeah. Uh, not too close to the sun, not too far away, just right. <laughs> the Kellogg's zone. Yeah, the Kellogg's zone. Sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I've been trying to get to the theatre when I can and um, see a few films here and there. I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I really enjoyed it. Like, um, I thought it was a little bit long. Mm-hmm. Um, it was less, um, I guess, a foray into like an alternative history as what mm-hmm. some people were talking about mm-hmm. and um, more of an exploration of midlife crisis and um, maybe a metaphor for midlife crisis in Hollywood and trying to move through this um, transition transition that mm. everyone's experiencing with um, crisis of masculinity and the whole Harvey Weinstein thing. At least that's how I read it anyway. It just occurred to me it could make a good double bill with Toy Story 4, which <laughs> has similar themes of like transitioning yeah. like when maybe, yeah, midlife crisis or you aren't, uh, can't do the thing you thought you could do in the past or the mm-hmm. w- world's moving past you. That's very interesting, actually. There's been a couple of films like that this, this year. Uh, I saw it as well. I quite liked it too, but I think it helped that I had some warning about sort of the pace of the movie. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't Tarantino, in quote unquote, until the final moments. Yeah. Spoilers, but um, the, what you would expect from him in terms of... Um, gratuitous violence mm. and that signature style. But uh, I just loved Brad and Leo opposite each other. Brad and Leo are fantastic. I was talking with a patient of mine 
Yeah. I can't mention by name, obviously. <laughs> but I can <laughs> mention there are like an 80-year-old woman, basically, who mm-hmm. loves her movies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, what have you seen recently? She said, oh, I went to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was like, really? Uh, we went to a matinee as well. And there were quite a few um, elderly people in front of us. Sure. Who were not coping by the end. This person loved it. Oh, that's awesome. She loved it. I was I was so impressed. I was like, have you seen Tarantino stuff before? She's like, nah, never. I was like, okay. And what do you think of the ending? She's like, I, I got it. I see why people were talking about, you know, very violent and so forth. But I also thought it was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's that's it. You got, I was like, I was like, not that patronizing. I was just like, that's exactly the right take, I think, on this. Mm-hmm. And so I'm getting her, I'm bringing her Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards. Like, I've, you've got to watch these films. Wait, you're bringing them? Are you I'm bringing her a DVD? DVDs. Does yes. she have a DVD I ask, player? She does. <laughs> I'm like, do you have Blu-ray? Well, my grandma like, no, doesn't okay. know how to work it. No, she's got DVD. She's talking about borrowing it. I was like, don't worry, I'll bring it. I've got them. Next appointment, they're yours. Uh, what else have you been watching? What else have I been watching? I went and um, saw a friend of mine, her new play called Golden Shield, which has been put on by MTC. I also saw this. Thank you for bringing me along to that. Yeah, my pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, so Felicia King, who I went to university with and uh, did a couple of plays with, um, is she's released uh, or she had one on at the Royal Court in the in London. That was her Wow. First, I know, first professional debut. <laughs> Not a bad place to start. I know. And then she's got um, MTC, she's got an STC coming up as well as something at Belvoir Theatre So, Theater for people who don't Sydney. know, that's Melbourne Theatre Company and Sydney yes, Theatre Company? Yes, Melbourne Theatre Company and Sydney Theatre Company. Mm-hmm. Pretty amazing to have those all out there by the time you're 25. And um, I was, yeah, really, really impressed with her play. Very cool. It's an interesting show as well about... The like Great trans- Firewall of China. Yeah. And like translation is a big theme in this as well. Hugely. And like communication. Yeah. And there's, a, there's a lot going on in this play. It was very, very intellectually stimulating. Um, is it still running? The- uh, I think it may have finished, but keep your eye out. If you'd like to see it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it got it's a remount somewhere. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, you're a bit of a reality TV yeah, fan, yeah, I yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I've got a... Uh, a- Guest r- r- reality check. Reality check. It's been a while since we had a reality check, actually. <laughs> Is that a thing? Yeah, no, add their sound effects. Boo, 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 boo. Yep, great. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a latecomer to the whole Survivor thing. You should tell the story of how you got into Survivor. So... My partner is a mega Survivor fan and some of our friends are huge Survivor fans as well. And I hadn't watched it ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was aware of it as a phenomenon, knew what the show was about, thought probably not for me. Um, Cut to a friend of mine um, announcing that he was going to run his own amateur Survivor competition over a weekend um, just outside of Melbourne, about two hours drive. So he recruited a bunch of people, um, some of whom we didn't know, some some were friends, and we spent a full weekend roughing it, playing Survivor. And Sounds it like so much fun. changed my life. Because <laughs> <laughs> from that you became a Survivor addict. Yeah, yeah. I, I just started binging, binge watching like all of the um, American seasons, the, the good ones. Um, and I'm watching the Australian Survivor season at the moment and loving it. It's really really good how far in are we are we getting towards the end we're getting to the pointy end so i'm actually an episode two episodes behind so uh, i mean if you know anything don't tell me yeah (laughs) it's a struggle but uh beyond that i have also been watching um the bachelor 
More reality check. Yes. Yes. This is Australian That is de- a definite, yeah, yeah. Guilty pleasure. Sure. That's the Matchula for anyone playing at home. The Matchula. Yeah, is Matt. That, is his name Matthew. Matt? Okay. Matthew the Bachelor. Matchula. And he is um, uh, an aerospace engineer, I believe. Sure. Something, something brainy. Something brainy. Yeah. He is a doctor. Um, although it has emerged that I don't think he's doing anything related to space at the moment. He's working for like Westpac or something as a data analyst. There's been a little bit of controversy Flipping around Burgers, that. Hungry Jackson, but I, I, my um, prediction with him is that he's trying to be the next like Bondi vet of science. Oh. Because he's like super handsome. Um, he's using this to build his profile and he'd mm. like to become like handsome science guy of Australian TV. Sure. Mm. The uh, Bill Nye, but Bill handsome. Nye the science, Aww. young handsome. Well, Bill Nye, not not saying Bill Nye is Convent- handsome. He's conventionally not, handsome. He's not the Bachelor handsome though. Not the Bachelor. Not, no, not the Bachelor. <laughs> and so you're enjoying that season too. Uh yeah, more for the discussion that happens around it, and all of the. Um, I listened to uh, Rosie Waterland's podcast, the Just the Gist, where cool. she does a recap. Um, so her friend who hasn't watched it, she basically recaps the two episodes to him. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, it's really fun, tongue in cheek, and love Osher Ginsburg. It's yeah, my partner won't even be in the same room while I'm watching it. I have to like headphones in just by myself. You're not watching the block as well. Oh no no no, things are blowing. I would up the I would block, never apparently. stoop so low. <laughs> Based on all the ads I've seen, it's drama central there. Uh, All right, we should get into the episode proper. Let's get to our spoiler-free review of Big Little Lies, Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Big Little Lies is an American drama television series based on the novel of the same name by Leanne Moriarty. Created by David E. Kelly and directed by Jean-Marc Vallée, it premiered on HBO on February 19th, 2017. Big Little Lies tells the story of five women in Monterey, California, who become embroiled in a murder investigation and boasts a stellar cast, including Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Shailene Woodley, Laura Dern, Zoe Kravitz, Alexander Skarsgård, and Adam Scott. Critically acclaimed, the series garnered several accolades, including 16 Emmy Award nominations and won eight, including Outstanding Limited Series and Acting Awards for Kidman, Skarsgård, and Dern. Season one consists of seven episodes, each coming in at around 51 minutes, and took us approximately five hours and 55 minutes to watch. Despite being originally billed as a miniseries, HBO renewed the series for a second season. So... How familiar were you with the source material before going into watching Big Little Lies? Have you read the book? Have you read any of is it Leanne Moriarty's mm-hmm. other work? Yeah. I. Um, so, what I did, I watched this when it came out um, and then I went back and I read the book, um, partly because my sister insisted that I do so. This is an Australian book um, set in Australia. Yeah, that's what's really interesting about this as well, is trying to, as someone who hasn't read the book but understood that, think about what might have crossed over well, what might be different. There's talk about guns in this a little bit, which obviously has got to be different in Australia versus the States, but go on. There's an argument to be made that um, this could have been a very – a great opportunity for Australia to tell an Australian story mm. and um, even seeing Nicole mm. star in it, I think, um, certainly from my sister's- out of her accent as well. <laughs> oh, come on. It happens. It's in there. <laughs> we'll talk about that. We will. Uh, yeah, just as a bit of a missed opportunity for Australia to do something really uh, high 
not high concept, but high budget and glossy and um, add to Australia's kind of resume, I suppose. I'm trying to think of like Australian shows that have had a similar sort of feel to them. And the one that comes to mind straight away is The Slap. Yes. And I made that comparison as well mentally. I think that there's a lot um, there that's similar in terms of like the parental tension and like an incident. um, It's like a more higher profile, higher class of person version of the slap slaps. I think there's like a few different demographics in there. Yes. There are some, they're actually, now I think about it again, thinking about the miniseries, there were definitely people who were more socio- higher up socioeconomically and then some lower down. Yeah, so whereas this is very much wealthy, white, um, affluent people, bar um, Jane. Jane, obviously. How, this idea that they're going to a public school though, We'll that's, talk about that. That's not well. right. But go on. <laughs> um, reading the book was um, really lovely, actually, because it it did kind of reinforce that the show had um, interpreted the text really. Oh, that's cool. Beautifully. Um, yeah, and then I've I've rewatched it in preparation for tonight, which was another Appreciate experience that. again. Sure. So it's fresh. Very good. Can you give us, please, Hannah, your spoiler-free review of Big Little Lies season one? I sure can. Thank you. Big Little Lies is a beautiful, lush melodrama that excels in both story and aesthetics. Its performances are strong and it boasts an incredible ensemble cast of women whose stories are compelling and real. There is a strong pulse and forward momentum to this show's plot, sometimes to its detriment. However, our moments of insight into characters' experiences help retain the emotional truth and humanity of the story and it's ultimately this that um, what makes the season so impactful and enduring. This could easily have been an escapist, cliche soap opera devoid of proper meaning. It's obscenely wealthy and white. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess the Californian setting is certainly escapist in that sense. However, its focus on women and their traumas, insecurities and strengths in all their complexity make this an insightful and deeply moving piece of TV. Very well put. I 100% agree with everything you said. There's a lot going for Big Little Lies. We already compared to the slap I sort of written down here, it's the slap meets Real Housewives. And at first, I was thinking to myself early on, I'm finding it hard to give a crap about these rich white people. It's just very little. You look at their lives and go, why should I be so interested in what's going on here? But it's the way that the show slowly sort of like peels away the layers and we get some very, very uh, rich traumatic, interesting stuff underneath. It's a sharp, small-town murder mystery where you don't know the victim or the killer with an equally, if not superior, social thriller attached. Uh, And as you said, it's a fantastic showcase for women, uh, female characters, and both, and obviously the the women in particular um, who are putting in the performances in this this show. So we've got, obviously, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Laura Dern, Bring some gigantic star power to this HBO short series. Alexander Skarsgård. Yes, exactly right. And while they stand out, and I think Nicole Kidman in particular smashes it, although I did make a little barb at her <laughs> accent earlier, the whole cast, and Alexander Skarsgård is an exa- excellent example, uh, are great from start to finish, including, I thought, the kid child actors. Um, they're asked to do a fair bit. They are. And the kid that plays Ziggy, for instance... Yeah, I, he, I looked him up. He's um, young, young Sheldon. Sheldon. Yeah, I know. Mm. I only know because he looks... I'm sorry, Jasmine. He looks exactly like my niece. He looks yeah. like a 
boy version of I can see that. My niece Jasmine. Uh, but he's great in this. He's very, very natural and like watchable. I think all the kids pretty much are good. They do an excellent job. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really good casting. Um, I love the direction from Jean-Marc Vallée as well. It's a very similar, I think, in like things like the use of music reminds me of Sharp Objects a lot. It's Absolutely. That the diegetic. Diegetic sound once again. Uh-huh. Using music. Gotta so in that, it. I think he she's using is it her iPod or Yeah, mainly from Chloe. Yeah. And they, well, Maddie's Chloe daughter. in this does a lot of that. But just in general, like anytime music comes in, there's always a diegetic source. That's always fun. I think the music is actually something that's really interesting we'll talk about in spoilers. Um, there's a really interesting use of like quick cuts to show like internal thought processes as yeah. well. Sometimes fantasy, sometimes. But sometimes to the landscape memory, as well. Sometimes the landscape. There's a lot of use of like. I, I love just how many shots of the main characters in cars, particularly through rearview mm. mirrors there are. And that bridge. And that bridge. It's a great use of the landscape and the setting, definitely. I almost thought it was like um, the slap crossed with a Tim Winter novel, crossed with the OC. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. And um, the actress who plays um, Jane mm. actually played Marissa Cooper's younger sister in the OC. I, I- so... California, here we come. <laughs> California. Uh, the seven seven episodes is an interesting number, but those uh, seven hourish long episodes, you could argue that this could maybe have worked as a movie as well, but I think that extra time we get really allows the audience to ruminate in the secret lives of these families. There's stuff I can't wait to talk about in spoilers. Totally. I, I think it's it handles its themes and its stories really, really well. I think there's one... Is it like that? I think most of the the stories and the characters are interesting. There's one storyline in particular that I think is so well handled, is so compelling um, and important as well mm. as a story. I can't wait to talk more about that. Um, and the, the show has great propulsion. Getting more, I was getting more invested with every episode right up until the very end. Overall, I thought it was an excellent series. I completely understand the hype around it. Yep. Based on what I've heard about season two, I'm looking forward to it and also wondering what exactly that is. Mm-hmm. But yes, at this point, really enjoyed Big Little Lies season one. What would you give this out of five stars, Hannah? I think the first time I watched it, I was like, five. Oh my gosh, sure. this is incredible. Second time around, I started to see a few more things. So I was a bit more objective. So sure. I was kind of um, sitting on a four, four and a half. I think I'm going to give it a four. Cool. I'm going to give it a 4.5 on my first viewing. Um, I was like tempted to give it a five to some degree. It's... Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things, a couple of elements I'm looking forward to talking about how important or how, where they should be included or not. Uh, as far as I'm aware, some of them are from the books, but they feel a little bit superfluous and not necessary in the show. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking about that in spoilers as well. But overall, I thought it was like stellar cast, really well written, um, fantastic performances, beautifully shot, compelling. Like, as I said, got more investors as the show went on. Yeah, really, really fantastic. Great work from HBO. Uh, Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in season one of Big Little Lies. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Big Little Lies up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Hannah, you want to start this off with a bit of a content warning? Yeah, content warning, trigger warning. I just think that there is a lot in this show that's really explicit around um, sexual violence, mm-hmm. um, domestic abuse, emotional abuse that um, could be quite sensitive for some people. I kind of put myself in that camp, honestly. Mm-hmm. So um, if that's really hard for you, um, yeah, maybe just go in uh, cautioned. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said. Um, before we get started, and we will get to that storyline, which is obviously the Celeste and Perry storyline, as we get going, um, as someone who's read the book and has mm. now watched the show twice, you said it was a fairly faithful adaptation. Yeah, bar a few changes. Yeah. Were there anything, I'm going to say spoilers for the book here for anyone who might be worried about that, was there anything that stands out that was different, changed, removed, anything like that from the book versus the miniseries? What, okay, so the main one would be definitely Maddie's Affair. Yep. That was not in the book. Okay. And I can see why they put that in as a device um, for Maddie, but also for like some tension in her marriage with Ed. I was going to say, otherwise I think that might have... Yeah, without that, it I'm not sure... It also gives, provides Celeste um, an opportunity to um, exercise her independence and try and re-enter her career or dip her toe back in and um, enjoy herself in in that moment where she goes and represents yep. um, the the play at the Avenue, Ma- Q. Avenue was, Q. Was she not doing that in the... Um, no, I don't think so. Like, not not from what I can remember. Sure. Yeah. Didn't I mean, she, she worked for the local theatre and there was that kind of status anxiety for her where yep. she was surrounded by these high-powered women and she was, you know, in a part-time position and um, wasn't doing something as glamorous as, you know, for example, Renata, who in the show, uh, I think at the start at uh, Pick Up and Drop Off, drop off, she says something like, oh, just joined the board of PayPal. What was I thinking? <laughs> like, just casually <laughs> among all the other things. No, I think most other things were in there. Cool. Uh, so, the one element of the show that stands out, that as far as I'm aware, because my girlfriend Steph has read the book, yep. she's been watching it with me, though she had to sort of get ahead of her in the end. But she was saying, well, I was saying, I asked the question, how necessary were these cutaways to the parents <laughs> being interviewed sort of- The Greek chorus The Greek of chorus, the show. exactly, right? And it was, so, it's part of the books, is that correct? That they are- um, I don't- 
remember that being a part of the okay. books. I when on the rewatch that was part of what took me out of it a yeah. little bit. Um, and I just imagined what the show would be like if those were withdrawn completely. Because I love all the cutaways to the crashing waves and sure. Um, I think that punctuates things quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the the Greek chorus things. I didn't care who they were. I don't think they added much to the tension because in my opinion the the real investigation and mystery in this show um is not the murder mm-hmm. that we're brought to in episode one yeah it's the tensions that arise from these people and their relationships and um the heart of the show for me is really celeste and jane yeah i think the device of like cutting to the the parents worked well in the pilot. And then especially as we got later into the season, I was Mm. just like, just don't need this anymore. Because unless there was a point to me, because I was trying to figure out, I was like, what was the point of this? And you said there's that Greek chorus element to it and it adds a bit of levity as well. I think it was a red herring thing as well where they're trying to um, point the finger at everybody, certain things and yeah. Sure. And so it ends up just sort of being a reminder that there has been some sort of crime, you know, murder, it keeps reminding you of that because this is playing out all before that happens. So, we get pulled back into the present, you might say, every time that we see one of those interviews. So, that sort of works on some level, I guess. Um, and maybe this is the point, but as it went on and I got to know these characters more, I cared less about what the people on the outside thought of them. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And then that last episode, when they're at the trivia night... Uh, or the yeah the trivia night. It's funny they said trivia Elvis night. And where was the where trivia? There was a lot of really lovely Elvis renditions. It was fantastic karaoke, but I didn't see any <laughs> trivia. I think there was one point. I think you heard the principal ask most like, glamorous karaoke I've ever seen in my life. Again, this is a public school. Apparently, ridiculous. They do say um, private school education for a public school price at some point. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. So then, as unless the comment was about like these people don't know, you know. This look that everyone has on the outside, this gossip that's going on, has all that drama they create about these people is not reality or no. like you could talk, you could make a comment there. I just found it got less and less relevant and less funny or interesting or didn't provide much for me as the show went the on. The insights didn't feel authentic. They no. felt really contrived and it's like, you don't know these people. Which again, we maybe know that's these the people. point. Maybe. But it just felt, I, I guess the tone of it just felt... Uh, out of place as we went further and further along. It the took, story. yeah, I agree. It was really unnecessary, especially towards the end when the tension was really building mm-hmm. and we're building to that incredible crescendo of mm-hmm. the final two episodes. And you're still getting these cutaways. Yep. Uh, you also said just before that the mystery for you is not sort of the hook with this show. Uh, there are other mysteries that I am more engaged with, but. Yep. Um, what happened on that night mm-hmm. is not number one, no. So, when you were watching the show for the first time, did you pick the ending? Were you engaged enough to even care, like try and pick like who the victim yeah, was? And stuff yeah, like that? I, was, I was engaged to try. And, it's hard to remember exactly what yeah. I was thinking or feeling. Um, I was definitely really, really worried when Jane went to see Saxon Banks. Sure. Um that felt like a really dangerous situation for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I think I did pick it, but yep. I think it doesn't matter. That was what I was going to get to. Because I, f- like, basically, the all three reveals we sort of get in the last couple episodes yes. that 
Uh, I thought it was both twins, but that one of Celeste's kids. Well, was... you do get that hint where um, Ziggy's talking about who he plays with. Sure. Oh no, I have lots of friends at school, but Max doesn't make the list. Yeah, there, I think there's. I think there's a lot of actual like almost metatextual uh, hints as well. Mm. We see the bite that Amabella gets. Yes. And then <laughs> one of the key things we keep seeing the boys doing is crunching on their cereal. Yeah. And I was like, it's such a weird nothing thing except to rem- and like they're, they're losing their teeth and stuff like that. None of which has actually anything to do with them biting. It's You're right. Like a- I didn't see that. But yeah. and also Perry, the way he play fights with the kids all the time, he's always like, oh, I'm a dinosaur. And, and, and chasing them. And he will make Celeste... The victim, like yeah. he will always just became more and more sinister, didn't and it's it? like make sh- get mummy, get mummy, get mummy, right? Yeah. And so they end up like shooting her with nerf guns and stuff like that. And so we've and yeah, I don't know. I, I, again, this is not a. I'm not so. I'm not so like not me saying I'm so smart. I guess the ending or anything like that. I think the show is really good in that this mystery isn't really a mystery if you're paying attention to what's going no. on. I think all the clues are there, and it's more that you're waiting for the characters to catch up, but. This idea that Jane's worried that Ziggy is somehow, like, infected with these violent genes from the her abuser. Whereas we've got the same thing happening with the twins, theoretically, with Celeste, except it's, a, it's that nature versus nurture argument. Yeah. And you look at, obviously, how Perry abuses Celeste. And how could one, the boys have not been influenced by that? So, it makes sense that they'd be the bully Absolutely. with Annabella at school. I figured that it was going to be, I hoped at least, it was going to be Perry that was the victim. I actually kind of picked it was going to be Bonnie that killed him as well, though I had no idea in what context or how. There was like, there was so many clues pointing to any of the other women. And then they kept kind of including Bonnie in that. I was like, why are we including Bonnie? Bonnie is barely involved in this story. Well, actually, no, that's another thing that we do get in in the book. Sure. We get a little bit more after the fact. Sure. And we do find out that Bonnie um, herself was witness to her own mother's um, domestic abuse. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, that is what really triggered in her that um, response. Yep. And we don't get that in the in the show in this particular. At least in this first season. <laughs> um, and there was, I, I'm just thinking again of like clues that the show left for us. There was one point where... It sort of went through all the, our, our main characters, all the, the mothers and women, and the they're all having like a moment where they're like thinking about or it's like flashing to their these weapons they've got. So like Celeste is thinking about the knives on the counter mm. and uh, Jane's obviously thinking about a gun and the so forth. The flashes are so effective. And then there was one of Bonnie and a gun that we never see at any other point in the series. Mm. And I was like, there's Hang a on. reason they showed us that. Yeah. Like... That's that. What's that for? Therefore, but again, I think the point was the mystery didn't matter. The build up to it, the way the show yeah. builds to this moment, um, is really effective. And it's I actually thought there's for a, a vulture while, article about that actually um, that says Big Little Lies best investigations are not about murder, and I think they say it really well when um, they say these scenes of real interrogation, like the chorus ones, yeah. don't really work. What does work is this alternate. Uh, vision of truth-telling and truth-seeking in the therapist's office. 
led by the calm but unmistakably pointed questions from um, Robin Weigert's portrayal of Celeste mm-hmm. and Perry's therapist. Oh, those scenes. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah. The chorus-like collection of minor characters who offer weirdly quippy takes on the school drama are the least interesting version of investigation 100%. imaginable. They offer no new information and their universal disdain for everyone involved empties them of any complexity. <laughs> so Absolutely. I think that, like... Kind of hits the nail on the head for me. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything in particular you did want to talk about? As someone who's seen it twice through now, what were some observations you made second time through? Was there anything that stood out more the second time round that you appreciated more the second time round the first time, you think? I think I was just so looking forward to being back in that Celeste story. Mm-hmm. And um, as painful as all of those scenes were, they are just so masterful yep. and they make you feel so much. So, I think... Um, that's what I really took away from the first time and what I really looked forward to the second time. Yeah, let's let's go there then. I think it'd be easy. It does feel like in a lot of ways the show's set up to be either Madeline's or Jane's story. And mm. yet for me, Celeste and Perry's story is the one that I found most compelling throughout. throughout. And it really got great for me when they got to the therapy stuff. Yeah, I asterisked that yeah. straight away. Yeah. And it's... So when we're first introduced to them and their perfect life, and I'm really I'm very impressed with the way the show starts in one place and their like sex life is dangerous and exciting passionate, and yeah. passionate. And there's a part of you that sort of it naively thinks, well, as Celeste says when she goes to therapy, it's like it's complicated. And it know? is really complicated for her. It's such a grey area because um She's addicted to that passion mm-hmm. and the intensity and the ebbs and the like the troughs are so low, mm. but those highs are so high. And it's easy to conflate that intensity with love and passion. And mm-hmm. that's what's happening for her. Like it's impossible to disentangle the way that she's feeling about Perry and that amazing intimate connection that they have from all of the other things that are happening that are just completely unacceptable and so damaging but yeah she there's so much shame I think that really underlies a lot of what Celeste thinks and feels she's so ashamed she at least initially blames herself Mm -hmm. and it's really difficult for her to say um, take any individual agency it's all we this and we that and I like the only time she'll take individual agency is to take blame where she shouldn't be taking Mm -hmm. any at all um, yeah, it's it's really it's a beautiful arc. I think it's possibly one of my favourite performances from Nicole Kidman. I agree. I think she's fantastic in it. And those again, it comes back to especially being those scenes um, on that couch with the therapist. Yeah, phenomenal. Uh, the first time we're there, and it's her and Perry. Yep. The the camera does cut a couple of times back to the therapist, but basically just stays on this sort of like whitish twofer. Yeah, which it hasn't previously in the show. Like the camera is static for the first time. It's much more warmly lit. Everything else yeah. has been really like cool ocean tones and everything before we we're in this warm, soft space for the first time. It's got all of these like beautiful rainbow refractions of light on their faces yeah. and Yeah. But I I just found I was interested. I'm always interested in what when that choice happens to like stick on a basically a single shot. It's because it's always tempting, I think, as a director to try and put energy into the scene, and that's easily done by putting in cuts. Later on in the scene, we see they have these 
close-ups that they can use, but the director chose not to use mm. them and still and instead stay with it. And so there's always a question of was that always the intention? Yeah. Or was that a situation where you get a performance that's so compelling and just like both Alexander Sarsgaard and Nicole Kidman are smashing this scene? Yeah. Do you just go, don't mess with it? Just leave it here because this is working without we don't have to add anything here we just need to let this play out um to the point where i honestly think she loses her accent multiple times <laughs> in therapy sessions and while that can be like a little bit distracting it's See, only I because i think she's i only think it's because the performance she's giving is so real, is so real and raw mm-hmm. and it, i don't want to cast aspersions or anything like that it did make me think about her own troubled history what she might be accessing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I did a little bit of reading on um, Jean-Marc Vallée and his directing style and the work that Nicole and Alexander were doing together and Jean-Marc Vallée doesn't rehearse. Oh, really? Yeah. So they, <sighs> that and they pretty much dangerous. Well, it's not to say that there's not, um, you know, care taken with yeah. the actors and, and all of that. There's not to say that there's no support sure. in place for them. Um, and he largely shot chronologically. So um, Alexander Skarsgård was saying that they shot all of those like gentle, intimate scenes with the, the kids and those mm-hmm. romantic moments. Um, and then they gradually shot more and more of the violent stuff. And they, he said it was really, really hard for both of them to do. Nicole said she was actually, you know, getting – she did have a double for some of it, but that mm-hmm. she was getting physically hurt. Um, but I think in, in those kinds of scenes where in the therapist's office, they are accessing something really real. It's so beautifully written. Um, all three of them, it just feels – yeah, I keep saying real. It it does feel really real. <laughs> totally. Um, the way Nicole's body language changes when she's in that therapy session as well. She be sort of him. Yeah, the uh, when, in the early one in particular, and there's a sort of like she really tightly wound and closing. And herself she's off constantly a looking to him before she speaks, mm-hmm. um, waiting for. I think. Um, yeah, so we just have a lot of anger that we need some help controlling mm-hmm. is what she, she says to the therapist. I think it's just like tragic how she shares the blame in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is all part of the abuse though. It's yeah. like it's – there's the, – obviously the therapist unwinds a lot of that with her. It sort of it helps to explain that. But there's a bit where he comes – no, no, sorry. Yeah, he's leaving and he says to – this is back in the home – and Perry says, come with me to Phoenix, wherever it is, right? Oh, and she's supposed to go to the opening. Right. And she's like, it's... And I, I love it when she starts calling it out too, his behaviour. It's like, so no matter what happens, you know, I get in trouble if I do something without you. Yeah. But you have to leave last minute and then you make this that I'm the disappointment because you now you make... I just want to be and romantic. Just and, you and just, but that... It's all those levels of manipulation along the way, the making it her fault or finding a way to make him the victim and her the aggressor and whatever it might be. It's just, I think it's, I mean, the the thing I kept coming back to is how important this could be for somebody. We were talking about um, Orange is the New Black a couple of episodes ago and how in some ways this last season's almost been like a guidebook on like if you happen to end up like, in a situation where ICE is, um, you know, taking you and is going to deport you, what yep. your options are yep. legally and stuff like that. And I kind of felt the same way about this. It was I couldn't like- agree more. And look, I don't want to 
say too much, but I think there are women who have been in my situation and I've been in that room with Mm -hmm. a therapist and a lot of people said, oh, a therapist would never say to you, you need to leave this relationship, but they do. Mm -hmm. Not to say that I was in um, a relationship that was violent in the way that Celeste's was, but as we can see in the in the show, it, it's not just about that. It's about mm. the emotional abuse and the control and it all stems from that insecurity and the, mm. the power seeking within the relationship. But I went and saw a therapist and I described some of the things that I was experiencing and it, it really came from a place of I'd, all I need to do is just to change the way that I'm communicating. Can you please help me with some strategies to communicate so that I don't upset him so much? What can I do to be different? What can I do to change? So that's almost you identical need to, help me. to yeah. what Celeste is doing that scene, yeah. And what the therapist did was to continue to press mm. and, and say, well, that doesn't sound right. Um, tell me more about what's happening. I'd say, well, you know, he doesn't really like me having too many friends or needs to check my phone or needs to know where I am all the time or if I say this, it's going to upset him so I need to make sure that I, I phrase it in the right way. And as I shared more and more, she eventually said, look, you're in an abusive relationship and you need to leave. And I said, well, you can't say that. Like I'm in love with him and I these are all the amazing things that I could never find with another person. And she's saying, no, and it would be really empowering for you to leave. And... It's really hard to hear, but it it does happen. And it was just pretty amazing to see that represented on screen and honestly a bit overwhelming when I watched it the first time. I was just like bawling. It was a lot. It's incredible how similar that is, like um, to like all the things that Celeste is doing in that scene. Mm. Like, yeah, to, to see that. But you are so wrapped up in this is love. Like I love this person and you're addicted to that high of the dopamine and the um and the ebbs and the flows and mm. yeah there's chemistry literally mm-hmm. to abuse that um adds to the complexity of white people stay and i think that they represented that really really well one of my favorite scenes was her like cleaning and stocking the apartment stuff like that yes and there's like just no such a good dialogue feeling. but it's a complex feeling right because it's like yes it's a good feeling because she's out and it's like, but it's like, it's but almost she's not a sad, out yet. no, but it's like a sad realization, right? Mm. It's like doing this and being somewhere not with Perry is like the reality that she can yeah, or she should, or that there isn't like, there's another life that doesn't include this abuse is sort of hitting her for the first time. Absolutely. And you f- I think you really feel that in that moment. Um, and maybe even just the questions of like, well, what, like when you've been with somebody like that and you have a family, there's got to be a lot of questions about what that next life looks like as well. And just there's a sort of, um, not terror is not the right word, but an uncertainty there as well. So there's a scariness to it that I think everything about the way that's she captures is shot that and so well. her performance captures it. The complexities of those emotions and that thought process she must be going through is it's it's a brilliant scene. I was just, wow was the word I wrote down. I was just like that's. It would. I just love. This is a game where I was like, I feel like this is a story you could compact into a movie quite effectively. Yeah. But given the beauty of this series, is it gives us time to really feel this um, journey that Celeste is on 
all the way through it and yeah, ruminate in it properly that you get to experience it. Yeah, I don't know. I just dazzled by it. Thought it was so good. Do you agree that um, Perry is a good father? Absolutely not. Mm. Not for a second. And that's the bit that when she says that to the therapist, I said to Steph, who was watching it with me, I was like, except it's easy to be the good parent when you're a helicopter parent who comes in and out and yeah. just plays with the kids. Or opposite of a helicopter Sorry, parent. sorry. The <laughs> flies in and out. <laughs> yeah. The one who who just comes home to play with them and be the fun dad and then pisses off again yes. to the other side of the world. Yeah. It's like, that's not... Which is just captured so well in that scene where she's sitting there folding washing. He comes in and there's Lego everywhere. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want to live in a pigsty. You need to clean this up. And she's had it. And she just says, why don't you clean it up if it bothers you so much? And that is probably one of the scariest. I mean, there's a few scenes that are really scary, but that made me so angry on her behalf and you could really feel how scary that would have been for him to do what he did, like to... Just the petulant oh. nature of like any time he gets sooky is the, the word that comes to mind. Yeah. I mean, he's so insecure and so fragile. Insecurity it is It comes the back to this of fear of like, I think he articulates it in their only, that one session that they have together. She could have anyone she wants. Mm-hmm. She could look at her. She's beautiful. She could be... With anybody, and she's with me, I don't feel good enough. And that manifests in this horrific treatment of this person he supposedly loves. A way of taking control. Yes, it's always it's all about, about control. control because of his insecurity. Power and control to try and soothe this unsoothable insecurity that mm-hmm. runs so like I don't I do not know where that comes from. He describes it as sickness. Yeah. But uh yeah. Well, one of the things they, that I think the show brings up is this idea of nature versus nurture, right? Yes, and the parallels so, with the kids. Right. And so, another reason he's not a good dad is because think about what his behavior is, how his kids are picking up um, on how he treats Celeste and then how they're obviously treating yeah. Amabella or well, how Max, Max is doing it, right? And so, another good reason, another reason is, well, sorry, Celeste keeps saying he would never hurt the kids. Mm. He would never hurt the kids. Maybe not physically, but no. he is hurting them in terms of teaching them these terrible behaviours that maybe will not ever be a n- massive negative to them, but is going to affect other children poorly and other Absolutely. women poorly. It's going to create only more harm in the world. And I thought that the music in this show as well, just to take a little bit of a detour here, the kids all listen to like... <laughs> really great. Uh, that's been a criticism of the show. I think it's, I think it's a comment. Yes. Right? I think it's an extension of this idea that these kids are learning from their parents, right? These kids listen to the music of their parents' generation yeah. because they're being directly influenced okay. by what their behavior, by how they interact with another, one another, and it's it all comes from their parents, right? Mm, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I agree. The kids are listening to stuff that's way too... It's not their <laughs> ear at all. I think it's adorable, it especially adorable. from Chloe, who I love. And it makes for a great soundtrack. But it's kind of the show's very... Um, very subtle way, I think, of putting in, reminding you that, like, yeah, they've got this weird taste in music, but where's that come from? What well, comes from the parents? They learn that from them the same way that Max is learning his behaviours from yeah. Perry. Um, and then even when Jane breaks it to Celeste um, that Max has been hurting Amabella and she tries to soothe Celeste by saying, look, they're kids, 
they hurt each other, they grow out of it eventually. And Celeste says, well, you know, maybe they don't. Mm. Maybe they don't grow out of it. And that there's just so much in that because she she really takes it on the chin, that concern, and it yeah, it, it would just be so painful to hear that as a parent and then to to know what you've experienced and to imagine that that mm-hmm. could be someone else in the future as well. And that you're, How do you even? For your own son. That's yeah. why I'm, I, <laughs> I know that Meryl Streep is playing Perry's mother. Is that yep. right? Yes, too? she is. And so, there feels like, don't say anything. Obviously, you've seen it. I haven't. A poker face. Perfect. Poker face. That's what the kids should be listening to. Um, <laughs> sure. I'm, there's potential there to maybe express where some of Perry's insecurity comes from, where some of his behaviour comes from. If we believe in this nurture is what shapes you sort of thing and we're looking at uh, Celeste who is sitting here worried about her kids' violent behaviour towards other little girls, will Meryl Streep's character have a similar worry about Perry or will we get some insight into where his insecurities and need for control comes from and I'm looking forward to finding out. And I hope These are the show- all great questions, Brod, that nobody has the answers to. <laughs> Excellent. Well Certainly put. not in this room. Was there anything else about the Celeste and Perry stuff you wanted to talk about? I think we've covered it pretty well. Oh, man. I could talk about it forever. Seriously, though. It is like, it's that good. You know that scene? Oh, you know what? Mm. When um, after she's made that plan with the therapist or um, I think it's just after she's communicated to the therapist that she has had a moment where she thought that she might die. Yep. And the therapist saying, you need to leave. And she's like, okay. And you see her scoop the boys up from school and head straight to the airport. Yeah. And the first time I watched it, I was like, oh my God, she's, she's doing out. it. Yeah. And she's actually rushing to meet him at the airport. And that reunion between the two of them is so... <sighs> you hate it. But it's so genuinely... There's so much chemistry between the two of them. It's, it's um, yeah. part of why it works, though, the whole thing is that, especially early on, and you sort of are just made to believe that this is just how their relationship works. And yeah. There's a lot of talk about, like, there's conversations between Ed and Madeline about, like, their sort of sexless marriage versus yes. what um, Celeste and Perry have got. And there's a jealousy there, and it makes you think that that's right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's there's so many fascinating conversations around all that, that it it's, I don't think, like, obviously, the way that Perry abuses Celeste is terrible from the beginning. But it's a, it's funny how the show almost puts you in Celeste's mindset to begin with. Yeah. That, but that, this exciting and yeah, you, exhilarating. You're, sort of you're stuff. there with her. Yeah. But yeah, we should move on because I could talk about it forever, but we need to talk about other things. Yeah, well, I was just going to, we should. There was one other thing I was going to say, which was. <laughs> I also love just the dread that happens in the last episode. Oh, when you he finds when he finds oh the text message or whatever it is, or yeah, say, voicemail what, or something from the property manager. Which, first of all, just the fact that he's like, it's just another level of control when of he's looking he at is. her phone. He, do- it's he never, quote, it's never doesn't commented like her on. having too many friends, yeah. and of course he's checking her phone. Yeah, and oh, the deadpan where he was like, "Will that be okay with you, honey? <laughs> if if they come in and." do the smoke alarms. Then and- when he takes off instead of going to the valet, oh my and he just like. I, again, I was like, I'm pretty sure I know how this ends. I'm pretty sure he is dying. But boy, you just can't help but not feel mm. complete dread for Celeste in that moment. And when Renata shows up at the window, yeah, I'm you're just on like, the window. thank Christ. Just the <laughs> relief that comes over you. Yeah. Uh, it's honestly, it's such 
it's so important. It's so compelling, that storyline. I don't feel like any of the other storylines really come close to me. I think Jane's storyline... Let's talk about Jane's storyline for a bit. Her, yep. Jane Ziggy. I really do love that storyline in terms of... Um, Jane, as the outsider coming into this community, is a great sort of entry point uh, for, an, for the audience, like yeah. the audience surrogate in a way. Just thought of another difference in the book. She comes to Monterey to um, because she knows that her rapist lives there. That Saxon Banks, whatever, is actually there. Yeah. Right. Not for a fresh start. Well, ostensibly for a fresh start. To that's what she tells her family. Yeah. But really, she has moved there because she knows that's where he is. Gotcha. Did you think that Perry was her abuser? Um, not initially. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of crept in on me a little bit. Sure. That moment of recognition, though, um, on the but on the, the stairs, on or, the stairs, yeah. the top of the stairs, between all of them, the mm. way they see the women, see the way that she's looking at Perry and the way Perry's looking at her, mm-hmm. that is amazing. Like, yeah. yeah, what a moment. Um, I again, I think the show gives you a lot of clues as to it being. Yeah, him. go on. Well, the main thing was when she tells her story to Madeline, um, like they vividly show like the abuse. And it's, oh, it's so similar. similar to the first time that we see, I think it's the first, maybe second time, early, one of the early sex scenes between Perry and Celeste. Like, it's just, it's very similar. The way that he's having sex with her is so similar. Mm. And it's like, it was hard not for me to draw that connection. And so I never believed that the guy she was chasing down, Saxon... A poor thing, or whatever. Interior designer. I was like, it, and, and it occurred to me that she'd never spent time around Perry. Like he was just never there because he was he's he's always yeah. away. And it's so, the same and, in the book. They they just never cross paths. She said it would be, you know, I'd hear his voice and I'd know. Mm. And so that moment where she just hears, she finally sees him. Oh man, so good. Um, but yeah, that storyline's uh, her relationship with Ziggy is fantastic, and that. Yeah, the pressures of coming to a new place, of feeling like the outsider already, of having your son be accused of choking a little girl, of trying to navigate these extremely powerful. I'm sorry, women but like, what is the school doing as well? Like, wh- well, as a teacher, what I'm a fascinated shit show. your perspective on this. Okay, so here's a hint. On the first day of prep, maybe don't call a mini symposium with all of the parents and demand that <laughs> yeah, the right. abusers step forward. Yeah. That would never happen. Also, just quietly, um, all we ever see these kids do in school is sit quietly in their spots learning to sing the school song. <laughs> like <laughs> The Otter Bay song, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I couldn't sing it off the top of my head. Then she just like walks around all of them while they're singing. It was so bizarre. She was an oh that um scene where she meets up for drinks with yeah. Jane. I was like, oh, mate, you are cooked. You are asking for trouble. <laughs> it's so unprofessional. I do think that's a, that's a deliberate part. Like at some point, you have to just believe this school is not very good at handling the situation. No, they suck. Yeah, they suck, and they let like when Renata shows up when the principal is having a uh, like a meeting with Jane and then they somehow just let Re- he just like yeah you know what come in this is a good idea <laughs> this is great so, what are you doing you idiot this is a terrible idea well Renata kind of stormed like there's no stopping her really uh, he he definitely could have gone he was an Ren- enabler yeah. oh totally yeah, we're, like we're all here to talk about the same thing so I may as well <laughs> look I won't yeah there's they exist uh 
but yeah, no, that that I mean, a single mother story is compelling enough, I think. And he, I, my sister is a single parent with mm. uh, with my the the niece that looks exactly like Ziggy, oddly enough. And I have a lot of sympathy for those sort of storylines, how hard that is. But yeah, I I do find that quite compelling. The stuff with I just don't feel like we I don't know weirdly I don't feel like we spend enough time with Jane in some I, okay. for a main character. I, maybe just everything is overshadowed by Celeste and Perry. Maybe, to some degree, that's just so What about like, her running scenes and those really intense flashes she has and um, those moments where she's like screaming um, and the, the flashes that she has imagining herself throwing herself off the cliff or um, those alternate realities or futures that she's having in those in those moments i, I don't know i, I, I do like be... her fantasies i think they're very interesting and again it's a really great use of that like flash uh flash he, do- he does that really well really well it's really really effective mm. how it's used just always or mostly audioless they're just like these fantasies playing out very quickly you understand that it's just very internal. visual he understands the important importance of showing not telling absolutely um yeah i found it good maybe it's also because she's Every other character has someone else to talk to, and she mainly just gets to talk to Ziggy, or she's talking to Madeline and Celeste, like yes. at the cafe. Uh, there's booze, booze, blues, sort of blues, blues, blues. I can't even remember. No idea. Tom is that the name of the guy? Yeah, Tom. The, yeah, Tom's sweet. Um, One of the few men. That's not, actually hashtag not all men. Not Tom. Hashtag, hashtag not, not Tom. Tom. Uh, whereas, like. And maybe, again, just Madeline's such a bigger personality. She ta- really takes over. I was like, I feel like Jane's meant to be like our... Because she's our audience surrogate. She's meant to be the lead in this story. Did you enjoy Madeline? I do. I really enjoy Madeline. She's I think so fun. She is really but good. complex as well. It's not all gregarious, bubbly, no, obnoxious. super <laughs> flawed in a million and one different ways. Yeah. Um, I think... And Adam Scott, did you buy their chemistry? Well, it's that... It's a middling amount of chemistry. Well, yeah, which is why I did like. Did about you too. buy their? I shouldn't say chemistry. I should say relationship. Yes, because I totally. I think it's. I think it's very familiar. It's very plausible. <laughs> and totally. Adam did such a good job of being this really endearing, patient partner. Yeah. When he and and times, but he also wasn't, flawed though. as well. Totally. And at times he wasn't patient. I thought that was very true, true. too. Yep. Mm. Um, I. I think Reese Witherspoon is really good at playing these sorts of characters. I she think was drawn of, to it, wasn't she? I think of Flick in Election. Have you seen Election? No. Oh, so good. You need to see Election. Okay, Brilliant. I'll do it. It's like a, it's about a high school like uh, going for class president sort of thing, and she plays this extremely competent and just like a pushy. Uh, she's student. a pusher. She pushes people. So she's amazing in it. So it's her and Matthew Broderick. It's really, really good. Definitely check it out. Um, but it's the same sort of character. She just plays them so well. And mm. I suppose I don't even know the character's name, but legally the legally blonde. Similar sort mm. of like vibe going. She, but be this a great is Glinda. probably the most three dimensional version of that that she's played. Yes. In what sense? Uh the greater deal of greater vulnerability, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um Do you so they added in the affair? into this version of the story. Yeah. How did you find that? I didn't even think it was that that showcased her vulnerability. It's sure. more um, her relationship with Abigail and her sadness at not being able to maintain that closeness and be that person for her. But simultaneously, you can see how she's pushing her away. Um, and Yeah, I think mainly relationship with Abigail, relationship with um, Ed, but also 
um, Nathan as well, like the her inability to kind of leave that relationship behind mm-hmm. to to not be able to let go. Oh, you know what? That scene between Nathan and Ed with the first time they <laughs> interact, where it's when, like, like they start threatening each other. Ed like rocks up on his little bicycle yes. with his helmet on and. Nathan's just such a penis. Like, I'm sorry, but... I love that scene. I think it's so funny. Me too. Because I think, in a weird way, it's like showcases how boring the men's storylines are. Yeah. It's like, it just comes down to this penis like length contest like yeah. it's, a, it's just like it's I'm, like, gonna you up. I'm gonna beat you up I'm gonna beat you up like fuck off <laughs> and then even like when we get to the the karaoke at the end and he's like Ed's rendition is amazing of like his song and then it's like well what's Nathan's gonna be mm. like and he's great too I'm like everyone is great everyone's great but Nathan this- would never be with Zoe Kravitz's character that just seemed totally unbelievable to me he was I- like wearing a leather wristband and like what is happening? You're I had a hard time. Nathan is probably the one character who I just didn't find compelling or interesting. He just seems so basic the entire time. Yeah, he's nothing. He's a nothing. But that's. But I did. I love his reaction when Ed rides off, and he's just like he's so like frazzled, like the adrenaline's running. He just he's meant to be like so, punch him in the yeah. face. This little nerd that's like threatening him. <laughs> yeah. and it's it's just I was just that's hilarious that reaction. Really funny. Really funny. And then every time there's a line he has. I'm gonna, sh- so I'm gonna show him who's evolved. Kick, t- kick his cultural ass, and just like this, <laughs> it's so basic and just like chest thumpingly dumb. He's such an idiot, Nathan. Um, you want to talk? Sorry, we got a little bit ahead of ourselves with Jane. I think. Oh, you- I just think that Jane is such a good mum. She's so gentle. Um, she doesn't talk down to her son. Mm-hmm. Um. She's just really loving. And and that was a, a child who came into the world under really difficult circumstances and was met with such love and um, care from her. And That she- choice is always, that's a really interesting part of her character, is to keep Ziggy, yeah. I guess. And it's never really explored as to what, like, what her reasons were for that. It could be. Could be anything. Or so many things. Yeah. She loves him. And mm-hmm. he, I think he knows that he's loved. And even though that there's that. Difficulty there um, that kind of is brought to her head with the family tree project. Mm -hmm. And he's got a lot of anger through not understanding something. And Mm. that's so true to being a child. I think um, that children are written really well for the most part. You Mm -hmm. believe that they're kids and um, they're allowed to be really playful with each other in the moments that you see them. And, yeah, they just come across as naturally acting kids. There was one scene with- I can't get over how good they are. They're so good. There was this one scene with Jane and Ziggy. Um, I think he's having like an ice cream on the beach and then they're playing ball or something. And the ball hits him in the face. Yeah, he starts crying. And he starts crying. crying And I'm like, that is a real cry. You can't (laughs) act that. And I genuinely think that he got clocked in the face and she's so sweet to him. She comes over, oh, there's no blood, no blood. And then she's making the joke about, should we call an ambulance? Do you need an ambulance? No, you're going to be all right. Okay. That's a great scene. Yeah. And Just he, very at, at the end of that tour, he's like, the last time we had pizza and uh, sat on the beach, uh, <laughs> we were moving. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> very insightful kid as well. Yeah. Um, and what about Renata? Renata's interesting because she's obviously got a lot of her own baggage around being bullied. Mm. And she um, is projecting that onto Amabella big time. So, she responds in a really intense way to any um, suggestion mm-hmm. of bullying and asserts herself really strongly now as well and she goes on these crusades because mm. I will not be bullied I will not allow my daughter to be bullied and treated and it's maybe not said the way that I was mm-hmm. which is kind of 
I think, what she is saying. Um, I didn't like Renata much at all initially, but she really grew on me. Yeah, I really like... There's that scene where uh, Jane comes to apologise for basically yeah. taking her eye out almost. Um, that's a bit of an overreaction too, but anyway... That's actually that's a great scene. I love like, that she had the eye patch. I, I, she was way too far away to realize. I was like, she's going to have an eye patch on when she gets it. Yes, yeah, she does. That's great. What a drama <laughs> queen. Um, but the and she apologizes and just that empathy that she shows to like, I can totally understand. You know, your instincts to protect Amabella here, and can you, you know, and then asks her to sort of like mm. appreciate this from her perspective trying to protect Ziggy and they're like they come to some sort of arrangement yes and then they start like talking in the car park and they're like you know they're not there yet but they're amicable about it and then just the way overall that all the women end up working together at the end of this that they are yeah. so much stronger obviously protecting each other from this evil around them basically it evolves quite naturally but it does mean Renata has to be the villain for so long basically in the mm. in the piece and it kind of makes me look forward to I'm hoping they've got stuff of her to do in season two and Laura Dern is just such a great actress yes. I wanted I don't know I want to know spend more time ren- with Renata in a way that I can get to know her and appreciate her I guess a bit more because because yeah. it does happen by the end of it but you're like oh I feel like I wasted all this time maybe a second watch would be make that more interesting I guess yeah I appreciated her right from the start second okay. second time around maybe through those uh, moments that we get later in the in the series because she's not just the villain with Ziggy Season? she's the villain with Avenue Q as well like she's just this <laughs> Avenue Q <laughs> she is she's on this moral crusade yeah um, for whatever reason um and she is that heel, I guess, yeah, for, yeah. for Maddie mm-hmm. more than more than anything else. That was and I, a device for um, Celeste to say, get on out there. We and shouldn't go back to the Celeste thing, but that bit, that scene in the car with her and Maddie, where she's just crying because she realizes how much she loves doing this, and, it's and like, she says, "It's not enough for me to be a mum. I'm sorry, but it's not." And, and to that's okay. have that discussion, yeah, 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 it was very cool. And just also, it was just another level of like manipulation that we're stripping away. Where we might like. We didn't necessarily know this until this moment. Maybe she'd forgotten how much she loved doing this, but she's been convinced that she, she shouldn't be, be kept, doing it. Kept woman, yeah. The way he talks about, like, oh, you got so stressed out when you were working, we couldn't have kids, and just makes her, yeah, she's to blame. She's to blame. She's like, fuck it. I don't know. So well, masterful, conceived. Alexander. Damn it. Uh, you want to talk about the ending as well, though? Yeah, I mean, just those, the the final episode builds so beautifully mm. to that final crescendo at the end where so you see all of them look at each other and there's that moment and Perry is cornered. He's like a, an, an animal that's mm-hmm. cornered. He's literally got nowhere else to go and then it cuts and we go to the future. And the um, the fallout, you see like all the police and everything and mm-hmm. that hazy, confusing time. Then right at the end you come back and this is intercut. I mean, it's juxtaposed with the calm and the joy of like all of the women being together on the beach. And mm-hmm. this is like a really safe and gentle space. But that final silent montage that's like intercut with the waves crashing against the rocks with Perry's final moments where he's bashing Celeste and the mm-hmm. women absolutely come for him. It's just pure instinct at that mm-hmm. point, it seems. And, they, and it's amazing to watch. Like in that moment, it seems to be saying, you will not do this to her. But more broadly, I think... It's women saying, you cannot do this to us. Mm-hmm. It's this amazing, empowering moment of the women protecting women. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Bonnie ends it all 
just like with a push and a scream. It's just power and it's rage. And it's in that moment afterwards, it's shock from all the women as well. And they're, like the waves like smashing against rocks. I'm like, yeah, this is like mes- metaphor for like smash the patriarchy, which is like so lame. But I think that's definitely well, how it feels. Smashing against the stairs. Smashing, maybe. yeah. <laughs> I like th- that's better. I like that. <laughs> think of it that way. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very interesting ending. It's interesting because for a while there, it seems like we might not get resolution as to who killed Perry because we got, obviously get the reveal that Perry's mm. the victim, and you're like, cool, excellent. That's why I wanted to be, and then. They're doing the interviews and no one's saying anything, you know. Yes, it's like, oh, maybe he just slipped. The interviews, but yeah. Sure. But you kind of, I was like going, well, maybe we're not going to find out. And maybe that would be a cool way to end it. So, when it's revealed that it is Bonnie, mm. um, how does that work for you that Bonnie ends up being sort of like the murderer, quote unquote? I wonder whether including some of those things from the book might have helped you understand and appreciate. I just don't think they gave enough to Bonnie, to be honest. I 100% agree with that. I think Zoe Kravitz is really good in it Mm -hmm. too, and yet she seems to always be like, I thought Laura Dern to some degree was sort of on the outside, but Bonnie is more so. And to be the only woman of colour in that ensemble (laughs) cast, it's a little bit rude. Like, she had some really meaty stuff in the book and you took that away from her. That's so... I don't understand that for a second. I didn't know she was bigger in the book. I was Mm. like, oh, maybe the whole idea, like, it's kind of like a red herring, right? Because you look at like how this could have been Celeste that did this or how this could very easily have been Jane, obviously, mm. because she seems to have that gun with her at all times and all that sort of stuff. And so, for it to be Bonnie is sort of a twist, but it doesn't quite feel earned. And again, it makes me want... They didn't know they were getting a season two when they did this. They didn't want a season two initially. So, Jean-Marc Vallée said, this is it. This is what we want it to be. Um, I don't cool. want a season two. And then he changed his mind after it was decided and he didn't direct season two. I was going to say he didn't direct it but uh, we're going to talk about this when we get to season two Mm. uh, because he didn't direct it but he came in later and helped to cut it I believe. Yeah well editing's his thing. Mm. He's an editor I think first and foremost. There's a lot of there's a lot of controversy around that move as well mm. uh, but we'll get to that when we get to season two which I have not seen so I'm only I'm looking forward to you seeing it because I feel like many of your questions Will be answered. Okay, good. That's good to know. Uh, yeah, no, but the the ending is excellent, and that again, when we're talking about like, it's great to see these sort of just women come together. The stuff with Mad- Maddie and it's so satisfying. I'm oh, sorry, Jane and um, Renata, and then yeah, to see them on the beach at the end and like protecting Bonnie in that. Like it feels yes. like they're sort of around her, not just at the top of the stairs, but on the beach at the end as well. There's mm. this like, you know, we'll we're here for you now. Exactly. Yeah. As well as very cool, and they're just. Yeah, it's an excellent ending. Although I don't think I needed even, like, especially if they weren't expecting a season two, the whole, like, binoculars bit at the end with the clicking light, I was like, that's on the nose. You didn't need that bit. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes, Hannah? Side notes. Um, No one ever does. It's always just me. No, no, no. I think I do. I think that I did want to say a little bit more about this primary school teacher. Oh, yes. I'm, yeah. Oh. How she handled things? Um, no, it was about, um, you know, that little class mascot? Yeah, the hippo. Yeah, Harry the hippo. Who just disappeared and then... It's totally a thing that we do though, right? So, we sure. send like a toy home with every member of the class and then they can take photos and journal about its adventures. In the book, Ziggy loses Harry the Hippo. He did in the show as well. Oh, he did too. Yeah, yeah. But nothing ever really came of it. But, oh, my God, the fallout from that in the book 
That's what I was waiting for. Yeah. I was just assuming it was going to be the next level of like persecution on Ziggy. Yeah, and it, and it was. But I can totally relate to that. I've had sure. like, you do not want anything to happen to the class mascot. Absolutely not. These kids, to them, like, it's alive, essentially. So... I only had one side note, mm. and it was just a tiny moment in the finale that I thought was hilarious, was when Tom shows up with Jane. Yeah. And Jane, he goes, hey, do, you want to get, do you want me to get you a drink? She's like, yeah, I'll have this. And then Maddie goes, oh, can you get me one too? And it's like, she's still in the cafe. It's like, can you just get me another drink, please, Tom? Because this is, <laughs> this is the only way I know how to interact with you is to order a drink from you. And the way he looks at her is just like, yeah, sure. Uh, Did you have a least favourite or favourite and favourite episode? Let's go with least favourite first. Oh, Uh, least favourite. That's hard. mm -hmm. Um, Maybe. I'll give you mine. Okay, you go. My one is episode one. Somebody's dead. Yeah. Only because I actually started this series three times. Like, I've tried to start it multiple times. I never paid it past episode one. I don't think it's actually a bad episode at all or a bad pilot. But it didn't grab you. No, it just has the hard task of being about... It's just all about setup, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't quite have that punch. And, like, if you think about how that episode is structured, it's a lot of being introduced to these women on the way to dropping off their kids. And then we have the incident. And then it's each of them back home talking with their husband. And then... Kind of the episode ends and we have a bit of a uh, a montage that sort of is like a not a premonition, but it's like setting up for the rest of the series. It's almost like a preview of what's to come in like little flashes. Yeah, and it, it's fine. It just didn't. It's missing that punch. It's missing every other episode after that. I think builds on it really well, and so it's hard for me to think of any other episode being. None of them are bad, but it was my least favourite, I think. It just it just doesn't have as much going on for it as the others do. Sure. Yeah. I think I kind of felt that way a little bit about um, episode six, the one that came before the final Interesting. episode. Yeah. Maybe it was just where where I was at when I was re-watching it. Sure. Um, that's the eye gouging episode. What else happens? Another counselling session. I think it just lacked a little bit of pace or momentum or something for me there. Gotcha. Maybe I was just really amped to get to the final episode because that's definitely my favourite episode gotcha. for like, the reasons we have discussed. Just the way it ends, the momentum building into it. Yeah. Sure. I think it's a really beautifully crafted episode. But if I had to choose another one, I think it would be episode five, Once Bitten. Sure. Um, that's where Celeste is first challenged to confront what Perry's doing. Yeah. Um, that's when Amabella's bitten and Ziggy's blamed and you have the car accident with Maddie and Joseph. I think just a lot of things oh, come to a head. car accident. Yeah. Does, that ha- does that, that wouldn't happen no, in no, the No, 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 because she doesn't have the affair. Yeah. But that it's also got the Lego nowhere. scene in it as well. And I think- Oh, sure. There's, it's just a lot of emotional intensity in that episode that I really loved. Just because just now I think about the car accident- the Maddie affair stuff, I think, is great for Matt. I do think I, I agree with you. Actually, her relationship with her daughters is more interesting. Yeah, overall, and I like her relationship with Ed. The thing with like Jonathan or whatever his name is, Yawn. Like, yeah, he's Yawn. That's the problem. He's not really much of a character. He's just there to be handsome, have the affair, mm. be a shit about it. Yeah, and then have the wife be suspicious. Tory. Tory be suspicious. Yeah, yeah. It's it feels added on, doesn't it? Anything about although. Reese Witherspoon kills it with that. I'm going to surprise you here. My favourite episode was episode six, oh. Burning Love. I think the more great therapy stuff in there. Um, I do love that. I 
think the what I've written is some real talk happening this episode thematically. It's up to its neck. So like. Basically, for me, it was building so well into the last episode. It was like it taken everything that come before it, was really getting into the meat of it so we could get to the resolution and conclusion that was happening in the last episode. And I was just like, I was just there for it. I was really happy with where it was at. Um, just fully propelling itself into the ending. Okay. I really, I just, I liked where it placed all of our characters and then to see that all sort of unfold. Because it's funny, the last bit, the thing, the criticism I'd have for the ending, right, is that they're still playing on this, like, whodunit thing. Yeah. And, like, there's so many, we keep seeing, like, all the the Greek chorus, like, looking over their shoulders at our characters and it's, like, who's going to kill who? It's, like, such and such as, what's the, so, no, uh, Renata's husband has threatened Jane at one point, basically. Yeah, and sort no. of Tom. And it's, like, is it going to be Nathan and and Ed? It's, like, it's, no. We, we know it's not those things. And it's that's my Probably my biggest criticism. Like, last episode's great. Don't get me wrong, mm, but it's doing. But they're still playing on it a little they're, bit. They're just sort of like they're. Yeah, it's a little bit coy, I guess. I don't know. It's maybe coy is not the right word. It's a little bit trite. Maybe is a better word for it. And whereas the last episode, the, sorry, the second last episode for me did such a good job getting us to that point. I just adored it. Uh, predictions, hopes, concerns. Little I bit cannot hard. Participate. You cannot. Um, so I'll go through mine. Uh, plenty still to explore. I thought. I can see why you'd be happy with this ending to just be the first season. I think it's great as it is as a standalone. But I am looking forward to what these characters do with this big secret slash lie on their hands now. Um, still potentially some fallout to come for Maddie and Ed. What happens to Celeste now? I'm really fascinated to see sort of what her life is like mm. post-Perry with the boys, being on her own, sort of like trauma doesn't just disappear. No. You know, just because Perry's gone doesn't mean his influence on her disappears completely. So I'm fascinated, fascinated to see what that looks like and how they explore that. I think it's interesting that. hearing you say, say all of those things because you're right. You do get to the end of the season, and there are all of these lines that continue yeah. to, yeah, they're sustained. Yeah, they don't just disappear. At and the, that's, end of the, the title still works, right? Like, it does. there's this big lie at the end of it still. Um, I but hope- also little ones. At little ones too. <laughs> exactly. What a great title for the show. So <laughs> clever. Uh, I'm hoping they get more to do with Bonnie because Zoe Kravitz and that character deserve it. And obviously looking forward to Meryl Streep. And as I said, I hope we get to explore. If from what I know, if what I understand is correct, Meryl Streep is playing Perry's mother. Then there is just so much that we could learn about Perry and so much they can build on the existing themes of like how parents influence their children's behavior that there's lots to dive into there i hope so i'm looking forward to it in a big way with a little bit of trepidation because from what i understand it wasn't received that well this season no comment (laughs) thank you very much for listening to this episode of hunting seasons you can find more of what we do via our website huntingseasonspodcast.com our logo and design work comes from sean kirkpatrick aka at shawnee boy draws and our theme song and bumpers from lucas heil of birthday loyalty club find links to their work in our show notes you can also find myself broderick gordis on twitter at 
B Gordis, B G O R D E S, Damask, uh, Damask, Hannah. There you go. <laughs> you can tell how much I do this as a habit now. Hannah, do you want people to find you online? I would rather not. Yeah, but that's fine. Thank you for listening to my voice. Thank you. <laughs> oh, no, actually, yes. I'm going to plug something. Yes. Although there's not much on there yet. I did follow through and create Empty Cups of Hollywood oh, yes. on Instagram. Yes. I need You're to not give you get- some stuff. Oh, yeah, please. Submissions welcome. There's not a lot on there at the moment. Followers still welcome. Do need to um, relocate my password to get back into that account. But I'm excited to uh, build up a little bit of um, content. Explain on that to the listeners what it is because I think. Okay, I think I did talk about this on my Sharp Objects. We episode. might have new listeners. This is where I patented the idea. Sure. Um, Genesis. <laughs> so, really, really, pe- my pet hate, right? Um, in <laughs> film and TV is visibly empty cups that yeah. actors are drinking from that are practically like zero gravitying their way into the sky. You can just tell there's, they, nothing, there's in nothing in them. Could I send you not just empty cups? Could I send you like empty boxes? Like Empty could you- boxes. Love it. Yep. I think it's in the same genre. Because I reckon there's multiple scenes in The Sopranos. I just need to go back to season one. There are multiple scenes with empty cups and empty boxes. I have already kind of um, broadened the genre a little bit as well because the Game of Thrones... Uh, coffee cup <laughs> did make it into the what I've got like three posts or something, but yeah, if you're interested, um, that's my main. And where do you find that again on Instagram? Instagram at Empty Cups of Hollywood. Empty Cups of Hollywood. Definitely check that out. And, and thank you very, very much for filling in, uh, coming in and joining us today, Hannah, and it for was filling my in for Damas. Absolute pleasure. Really, really appreciate you doing this. Uh, next episode is probably going to be a bit of a different one too. The plan is to record an episode. Reviewing Gravity Falls Season 1 with Lucas Heil. So, Lucas Heil, who does our bumpers and our theme song. And probably, if you're up for it, talking about Big Little Lies Season 2, maybe in a fortnight, Hannah. Love it. Excellent. Hopefully, Damascus will be back for that one. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Absolutely. 